Happy Easter, GFC family. You look great. Isn't it amazing that there's millions and millions of followers of, followers of Jesus, in, I'm excited too, in hundreds of thousands of churches all over the globe that are gathering in this moment and celebrating the greatest moment and event in human history. That three days, three days after Jesus died, the stone was rolled away, the tomb was empty, Christ is risen, he wasn't there. If you believe it, say amen. I mean, if you really believe it, like there's no doubts in your gut, look over to the person next to you and say, he is risen indeed. Now, I'm about to celebrate something with y'all that uh, you're the last service, last part of our church family to hear this news. But every single Sunday or every single service today and yesterday, people have been hearing the good news of Jesus. And the presence of God has been real. And he's been changing lives. And people have been confessing the Lord Jesus and surrendering their lives to him. And so far, after four services, exactly 100 people have publicly surrendered their lives to the Lord. Isn't that amazing? Like 43 adults, 57 kids. Praise God. And I know some of you are here today, and you're here to celebrate and remember the cross and that Jesus is alive. But there's some of you here that, quite honestly, you're unsure. You've been invited, and you're not sure. You're not sure about uh, what it means to have a right standing before God. And that really is the one of the most important questions, isn't it, in life? That one day you will die, one day you will give an account, there will be an afterlife, and, and what will be your part? How do you know for sure that you are in right standing before God? And so that is the question that I want us to ask. Because if you Google that question, or you AI that question, you're going to get a whole bunch of different answers, aren't you? Like a whole different bunch of answers. And, and we have to be honest, we live in a very spiritually pluralistic society, meaning like because tolerance is valued, there's a, a, a lot of people that believe that all roads will lead to heaven, that no matter what you believe, as long as you're sincere, that truth is relative, and that all religions are basically the same. There's all kinds of different beliefs about God, and it's interesting to me that you can talk about God, you can talk about spirituality, like even outside of the church, you can talk about a higher power, a higher being, and people are generally okay with talking about it. It used to be like, you don't talk about religion, you don't talk about politics. Now people talk a lot about it, right? And, and it doesn't get controversial until when? Jesus. Some of you are saying the name of Jesus, which is interesting, right? Because not many people don't believe that Jesus existed. No rational person says, nope, there was no historical figure named Jesus. There's too much evidence. Everybody knows that Jesus existed, and people don't object to that, right? They don't object to even the teachings of Jesus. He said to be kind to those that others mistreat, to love your neighbor, right, to forgive people. Most people are agreeable and are supportive of what Jesus taught. But it gets controversial when you look at the exclusive claim of Jesus. Because we live in an inclusive world where everything, truth is relative. There's no absolutes. There should be no exclusion. And Jesus diametrically opposes that mindset. And so what is the exclusive claim of Jesus? 
I want to invite you to turn with me. This is so important. Turn with me to the Gospel of John in the New Testament, to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Jesus had been teaching his followers. He even predicted that one day he would die, and three days later he would rise from the dead. And he said, I must go to prepare a place for you. He's, he's, he's telling his followers, I'm going to go and prepare a place. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And one of Jesus' own disciples, one of his closest friends, who would have some serious doubts about who Jesus is, said, wait a second, Jesus, I'm not sure I understand. Now tell me again, where are you going? I don't get it. And in verse 6 of John chapter 14, Jesus says, I am the what? Say it out loud. I am the way and the truth and the life. Did Jesus say, I am a way? Did he say, I'm one of several ways? No, what did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, the life. Then Jesus says, no one, this is the, this is the exclusive claim. No one comes to the Father except what? Except through me. Bold statement. This would have been a very controversial statement when Jesus said it over 2,000 years ago. Because Jerusalem, Israel, was under Roman jurisdiction. And the Roman decreed that you could worship all the idols, all the Roman gods and goddesses you want, as long as it included the emperor. You could worship God, you could worship Jesus, as long as you also worship Caesar. Last summer, I got to visit Rome, and at the city center is the Pantheon, a huge temple constructed in the first century. And it was there that people were encouraged to come and worship all kinds of gods, all kinds of Roman gods and goddesses. And Jesus makes this exclusive statement, and he says, no, you cannot go to God through Caesar. You can't go through God through any other gods or deities, only through me. But a lot of people still want to say today that, man, all roads will lead to God. All roads lead to heaven. And with great respect to many different religions, and there's some good attributes in some religions, they are not all the same. And so just for a moment, I'd like to, it's almost an impossible task, but I'm going to try to just give a little macro outlook on some of the major world religions to see how they differentiate from each other. A Buddhist does not believe that there is a God. There's no type of final existence, but rather they believe in countless rebirths called reincarnation. Maybe there's this hope that eventually you end the cycle, but you contrast that with Hinduism. A Hindu would, would, would believe in a God, but not maybe as personal of a God that we know, and that this God can be approached through many different deities, statues, idols, uh, there's a caste system, and like Buddhism, they believe in karma or fate. For example, if you cut somebody off in six, um, 1604, you better get ready because you're going to get cut off or worse because you deserve it, right? So that's what they believe. A Muslim believes in a more personal God they refer to as Allah, and their, their version of a Bible, the Quran, teaches that there were prophets like Muhammad and Jesus. They were not divine in nature. And the way you, you get in right standing before Allah is through religious works or efforts. 
And so you must pray many times during the day on a mat and bowing towards Mecca. You must make a pilgrimage to Mecca in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. And it's through your efforts and religious works that you can attain good favor and standing before God. And you contrast that with Judaism. Judaism is like Christianity in its origin. In other words, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, same thing. In fact, the the Bible, Old Testament, is the same as our Old Testament. What is different is they reject that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. The Gospel of John says that he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. And so they are still waiting for a Messiah to come. They're still waiting for the blessed hope, as prophecy predicted in the uh, in Isaiah. So you have New Age as well as a, as a religion with a lot of spirituality that doesn't believe in a, in a God, believes that you are the center, that you are to become one with the cosmos or one with, with the universe through meditation or different methods. And you contrast that with someone who is a Jesus follower who believes in a personal God, believes in a in the gospel that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, who lived a perfect life, never sinned, but he died on the cross for the sins of others. See, God is a just God. He takes sin seriously. So there had to be consequence because of sin. Sin separates us from God. And so God wanted there to be close fellowship, intimacy. So he sends his son, Jesus, to show exactly who God is, his character, his nature. And so he shows, we see Jesus, and and Jesus dies on the cross, and we are made right by God, not through attainment, through good works, but only through a confession of Jesus as being Lord and Savior, by confessing and putting our full trust and faith that Jesus is the Son of the living God. When we turn from our sin and turn and commit to follow after Jesus, then we can be made right with God. And so we're here, we're talking about God. We're talking about spiritual things, and we're talking about what's most important. So as we look at this, uh, I want us to consider Jesus today. I don't want you to consider joining a church or joining a denomination, but rather consider joining Jesus. And so if you're keeping notes, I want you to explore and lean in. Who is Jesus? Listen, not just knowing about Jesus, but who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Is it possible that Jesus wants to have a personal relationship with you? That Jesus loves you? You see, the, the God of the Bible is different. We have to admit they're not all the same. The God of the Bible is real. The God of the Bible was raised from the dead. The God of the Bible loves you. The God of the Bible is the only one that can forgive you and save you from your sins. He's the only one. The only one. So who is Jesus to you? You see, I'm passionate about this because... I remember a day when I felt empty, and I thought that when I, even when I lacked so much confidence, I thought if I could have enough education, if I could work, if I could earn somehow God's favor, that I could be in good standing before God, and I was still empty. And in my brokenness, I experienced the transforming power and love of Jesus who forgave me, and he gave me hope and supernatural peace. And so because of what he did in my life, I've given the rest of my life to share the good news of Jesus 
And I've seen this change happen in other people's lives. I've seen marriages restored. I've seen the addicted be set free. And so I'm convinced that the God of the Bible is real. So who is Jesus first? If you're taking notes, write this down, that Jesus, he had a ministry. His ministry, the ministry of Jesus. Consider who he came for and how he treated people. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, essentially tells us why Jesus came. I love this. Because the religious leaders of that day, they didn't spend time with people who were mistreated, poor, the down and out, the underdogs. And that's exactly who Jesus came. He spent time with tax collectors, with sinners, right? The woman caught in adultery when the Pharisees wanted to stone her. Jesus leaned in and saved her life, but he said, go and sin no more, right? He was full of truth. He was full of grace and love. And the Pharisees, in chapter 2, verse 16, it says, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? They were so confused. They were like, he's supposed to be like us, a teacher, a religious leader. We don't spend time. If you spend time with these kind of people, you're going to be unclean. And notice Jesus' response. He says, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but who needs a doctor? He said, the sick. And then Jesus said this. He said, I have not come to call the righteous, but who did Jesus come to call? He came to call the sinners. Whosoever will, that's whom Jesus called. Jesus says there's no other name under heaven whereby we can be saved except through the name of Jesus. And he would come to this earth and he would make the uncomfortable feel comfortable. And those who felt like they had it all together, who had a lot of pride and felt comfortable, he made them feel uncomfortable with his words. And so as we look at the ministry of Jesus, you can't ignore the miracles of Jesus. Divine miracles through the supernatural power of God. What was the very first miracle that Jesus performed? He changed at a wedding water into wine. People were there. They tasted it. They were blown away. Now, those of you who are my Pentecostal and Baptist friends have a real problem with this miracle. I know. But, but it was a real miracle, this first one. But Jesus also opened the eyes of the blind. He opened the ears of the deaf. He delivered people from unclean and demonic spirits. He took a few loaves of bread and fish and multiplied them and fed thousands of people in a crowd multiple times. Even one of his dearest friends, Lazarus, who died, he went to the village. People were upset about him. Lazarus' sisters were like, you're too late. This person had been in the tomb for multiple days, and Jesus rose him from the dead. People were there. They saw it with their eyes. They never, did, they never con confronted Jesus or denied the miracles. They saw it. And so Jesus, he ministered to people. I wonder how many of you are here today because of the ministry of Jesus. You were once addicted. You were sick in your body, sick in your mind. But you know that Jesus healed you, delivered you, forgiven. Come on, is there anybody here that's been saved and set free because of the ministry? You can testify. Like Peter when he wrote in his first letter, chapter 1, verse 3, that we have been born again spiritually, born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. It all hinges on the resurrection, doesn't it? All because of the ministry of Jesus. And that's the second thing we must consider, the resurrection of Jesus. This is the Sunday. This is the day that we remember and celebrate that Jesus is alive, that he rose from the grave, from the dead. 
If there was no cross, if there was no death, there would be no resurrection. So we remember his great love. We remember the cross, but we remember the resurrection as well. That Jesus came and we have to remember that he was miraculously conceived. He was born of a virgin as prophecy was fulfilled. And Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. He was tempted and tried in every single way, Hebrews says, but he still resisted and he did not sin. He showed us the way, a better way. He revealed the character and nature of Jesus. And there at his greatest hour, when he was around 33 years old, his closest disciples were afraid and they scattered. One of them betrayed him. Others denied even knowing Jesus. Jesus, his beard was pulled out. He was mocked. He was unjustly tried. He didn't run away. His life was not taken from him. He laid it down. No greater love than this than a man would lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus demonstrated the greatest love of all. When he was beaten, his flesh was mutilated. His hands and feet were nailed to a cross. And he hung there for hours and hours struggling to breathe until a spear pierced his side, and he breathed his last breath. But right before he did, he looked out, he looked at the soldiers, he looked at the crowd who yelled crucified, and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What kind of grace, what kind of love is this? There a Roman soldier who did not believe, thought he was an ordinary man, began to feel the ground tremble, and the skies grew dark. And as Jesus screamed out, it is finished. In other words, the atonement had been made. The substitution for our sins has been appeased. It is finished. Nothing more is needed. And this Roman centurion said, truly, this must be the Son of God. And after three days, just as Jesus predicted, some of his followers, some ladies showed up at the tomb and saw that the stone was rolled away. The tomb was empty. And they were told to go tell Jesus' disciples. And when Jesus' disciples heard the news, they began to run. Peter and John were the first to re- get there. And they saw Jesus alive. And they heard the Great Commission. Shortly thereafter, in Acts chapter 3, verse 15, Peter, who had once earlier denied even knowing Jesus, he was so afraid, now full of the Spirit of God and emboldened because he saw Jesus alive, he said, you killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. Then he said, and this is the key, he said, we are witnesses of this. Real people saw Jesus alive. They saw him die on the cross. He was in the tomb for three days, and now he rose from the grave, and they saw him in a resurrected, glorified being. Paul also saw, another apostle saw Jesus and would write to the church of Corinth that over 500 people saw Jesus alive. There was no doubt, no doubt. You may be here and say, well, maybe the Romans stole the body. It doesn't make any sense. Why would the Romans, they would want nothing more than to produce the dead body of Jesus. Christianity was a threat against the empire. That's why the emperor put a seal on the the stone and guarded it with Roman soldiers. You may think, well, maybe his disciples, Jesus' disciples, could they have stolen the body? Does that make any sense either? That 11 untrained disciples, unarmed, would overpower the Roman soldiers and steal the body and then lie about it. Be the greatest heist in human history, right? 
that these men would say that Jesus is alive and they would spend the rest of their lives proclaiming the good news and most of them would die a martyr's death, never denying that Jesus was alive. My favorite is Thomas. Thomas, one of Jesus' disciples, the one who doubted, the one who said, even when other people, when Peter and John said, we saw Jesus, Thomas was like, nope, I'm not going to believe, not until I put my own fingers into the nail-scarred hands of Christ. And so Jesus revealed himself to Thomas and said, Thomas, put your hands, put your fingers here. And Thomas did it, and Scripture says that he fell to his knees, and he said, my Lord and my God. And because of Thomas's conviction, he would go out in all the world and preach the gospel. He was the very first evangelist to the country of India. And there he would proclaim the good news that Jesus is alive and people were saved. Disciples were made and the church was born in this wonderful country. But yet Thomas was persecuted. And they said, Thomas, you can no longer spread this good news, this message. If you do, you will die. And Thomas responded, he said, I will never deny the faith of the one who died and rose again for me. I will stand by him for the rest of my life. And you know what they did to Thomas? They drove a stake straight through his body. They impaled him. And he, like others who were persecuted, died a martyr's death because they had the conviction that Jesus was alive. They experienced salvation. Their lives were changed. And so they told others the good news of Jesus. And just like that, the church was born. And people told people who told people who told me and told you that Jesus is alive and that he still changes lives today. He still saves and forgives. So as we look at Jesus, we must look at the ministry of Jesus. We must look at the resurrection of Jesus. The third, we must look at the eternal message of Jesus. When Jesus began to preach, He simply said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus, as the Messiah, came to establish a kingdom. His beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, mourn for their sin, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the merciful. This is the way of the kingdom. This was his message. And so because of his message, we must respond. God has done his part. He sent his son, Jesus. Jesus did his part. He died on the cross. And so what is your part? Because you are responsible for what you know. We live in a world that believes that and all people win in the end. But the reality is there is a real heaven and there is a real hell. Jesus said, wide is the road that leads to destruction, and many are on it. But there is a narrow path that leads to life. Jesus says, I am that path. I am that way. I am the truth. Everything that you're searching for, God's greatest answer is Jesus to your greatest need. Jesus is the solution. Jesus is the way. And so what is your part? How can you know that you can have a good standing before God? Your part is to confess Jesus as Lord and Savior like Thomas. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means every single one of us have been like sheep who have gone astray. We've missed the mark. All of us, we've missed it. We've sinned. We've lusted. Committed adultery perhaps. 
had bitterness, envied, gossiped, had strongholds. But thank God that we couldn't save ourselves only through Jesus' blood on the cross. Is there redemption, salvation, and reconciliation only through Jesus? The Bible says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But the good news is the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We live on just a small fraction of our lives here on earth. There will be an afterlife. And you will either spend that life with God for eternity or apart from God. Damned to hell. God has done his part. He's done everything to love you. Will you do your part? The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God, that you will be saved. He loves you. That's why he spilt his blood for you. You may be here and say, I'm just not sure. I'm not sure that God could save me. He does, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've believed in or what I've been brought up to believe. I can't betray my, my family. I can't. I can't surely be forgiven over the experiences and the sin in my life. Know that there is no sin that can prevent you from God's grace and forgiveness if you're sincere and humble at heart. And there's nothing you can do good enough to earn salvation on your own. It's only through Jesus. So I want you to hear a wonderful story today of a woman named Brittany who was once far away from God. and She came to this church. She heard the good news of Jesus, and she was discipled. And may you be inspired by her story. And as we watch her story, I want to invite our small group leaders to please come to the front and begin praying for a church. So 2018, I felt the Lord calling me. I had the curiosity and chose my career and relationship at the time, even though I felt convicted. So I felt like the Lord was telling me, hey, this relationship isn't healthy. So then in early 2019, that relationship ended. Um, a week after it ended, I found out I was pregnant. That pregnancy ended in a miscarriage, second trimester. So then I went to a very dark place because I was hurting. By September, I was pregnant again. Um, that time, I chose to have an abortion. My grandfather died right after that, and so did a client that I was very close with. So then I turned to dating apps, alcohol, partying, working, trying to stay busy. I just was too afraid to face that hurt. I quit my job, sold all of my belongings to move here and be with my now husband. Coming to San Antonio, I think was also still trying to fill the God-shaped hole in my heart because I loved Austin, but also wasn't a whole person. So that led me to just getting on Google, like searching small groups here. And so that's where I met my small group leader. I shared so many things with her that day. It just felt like home, like she felt safe to me. The Lord first softened my heart because I was very independent. I didn't want to be close to anyone. I didn't want people to know what I had gone through but the Lord was very clear that he was with me. Like I could feel him, hear him. I knew and each day it got better. I could breathe again because for months it was just this paralyzing fear and anxiety. And when I finally surrendered my heart to the Lord, 
and fully gave him that anxiety and that hurt and that sadness, he was able to redeem all of those things. So when Brittany started going to church, yeah, it was a little bit of a shocker to me because my family kind of wasn't really too involved into the church. Once I seen her start going to Gateway Fellowship Church a lot, a lot more, then I saw a lot of different things happening to her, a lot of stuff that she was changing. She would talk a lot different. She would talk a lot more openly about the Lord and say how she thinks that He's affecting her and how everything is changing a lot for her. Um, obviously, Austin and I had been married for six months maybe. When I found Kristen's small group and started going to Gateway, we had never talked about religion, really. So when I started telling him like, hey, I'm going to small group, I'm going to church, I would come home, I would ask him to come, um, but there was some tension there, he wasn't ready. My heart grew heavy for him, the burden for his soul. I remember one of our biggest fights, I was like, what are you gonna do if you, you die? And he's like, oh, well, we'll find out if it happens. And my heart just broke into a million pieces, but it was my time to be strong and rely on the Lord and know that he is faithful. One random Sunday, um, I was like, hey, do you wanna come to church? And he came and then he met his small group leader and then there was a lot of change for not only him, but our marriage. Whenever she first invited me to go into Gateway Fellowship Church, it was definitely one of those things I was like, mm, I'll give it a try. Showed up for the first time, saw the community that was inside, saw how everybody was treating everyone another, and then just saw the, the feeling of a community being loved and wanted around there is one thing that I saw and that's what I noticed and that's what also invited me to come back. What led me to surrendering fully was everything that I was tying up kind of in my, my own heart, all the convictions I've had from everything from my past. I was like, it's time for me to break my change and let go of all this pain, guilt, and everything that I'm holding on. So let me release it and give it all up to the Lord and let him handle me. Being able to be there when he was baptized and see him fully surrender to the Lord really um, brought me to a new level in my faith. Knowing that the Lord loves us enough, he loves marriage, and knowing that Austin, he was safe and that he could start new because we are a new creation. It definitely brought so much healing because it was one of those profound moments where it's like, okay, the Lord hears my prayers and he cares and he loves us so much that he would, he would work on Austin's heart. And now I can see exactly where those pieces of my story can help other women, married couples, lost souls just out in the community because he was able to restore all of those things. We want to be a part of that, to disciple others, to show others the joy and peace and love that comes from just surrendering your life to Christ. A beautiful story that our God still is forgiving. He's still saving lives. So if God has saved you, would you just bow your heads right now? This is our moment. This is our moment to remember, to think about the cross, to reflect on the resurrection of Jesus. Just in your own words, would you just thank him Lord, we're so grateful that you sent your son, Jesus. Please forgive us when we become too familiar, when we've calloused our hearts, Lord. 
thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you. Thank you for setting us free. Thank you for giving us a new chance, a new, a new start, a relationship with you that's so personal. No longer do we have to be alone. No longer do we have to try to figure things out on our own. Lord, I pray that in this moment, Holy Spirit, that you would just convict hearts of selfishness, of sin. That you would just draw people to yourself. For your word says that you are patient. You desire all that come to repentance, all that turn from sin and to turn to you. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would knock on the doors of hearts. It's not by accident that our friends are here. Maybe they came and they were unsure of where they would stand before you. I pray that you would give them faith, that they would be encouraged enough to trust in you, Jesus. That you would remove all fear, all doubt, that every voice of the enemy or internal voice would be silenced that is not from you. That you are not a God that condemns, you are a God who saves. And so for those of you want a clear conscience before God. For those of you who want to be forgiven, you've been tired and you're weary. And maybe sin has been pleasurable for a moment. It's left you feeling empty. The Lord wants to forgive you. He's opening up his arms and he's saying, come home. As a father's love, he's saying, come home. I love you. I will forgive you. He's the only one that can save you. So if you would like to commit your life to Jesus, I want to pray with you today. So I'm going to count to three. And if you would like to surrender your life to Jesus, I'm going to ask that you boldly raise your hand. And we're going to pray for you. Jesus laid down his life for you. He hung naked on a cross because of his love for you. Would you deny yourself? He said, if anyone would take up his cross and follow after me. That's what following looks like. That's what discipleship looks like. It's obeying everything that Jesus asked. It's about a personal relationship. So this prayer is a life-changing decision. So I'm going to ask you as I count to three, from the youngest to the oldest, doesn't matter if you've been in church, this is your first time or you've been coming for a year. Are you ready to surrender your life to Jesus? Will you boldly raise your hand? One, two, all over this room, three. Would you raise your hands? Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Keep your hands up for a moment. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. A couple, a family. Praise the Lord. Our small group leaders are going to begin to walk to those of you who are raising your hand. Will you just stand up? Everybody stand up all over this room. And we're going to pray. Those of you who are making this life-changing decision. I want you to confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, have the faith of a child here. This is a moment. And so would you just bow your head and just confess the name of Jesus. Say, Jesus, out loud. Everybody say, Jesus, will you be my Savior and my Lord? I commit from this moment forward to follow after you all the days of my life. Please forgive me of my sin. Please forgive me for living a selfish life. 
this moment, Father, I pray that you would cleanse every mind, every heart, that you would save them from their sin, that you would give them a hunger to know you, a hope for the future, give them supernatural peace that they've never known before, give them a desire for your word, for Christian fellowship. Lord, I pray for others that are here today who may be our guests here for the first time, hearing about you for the first time. I pray that you would pique their curiosity, that they would lean in and want to know more. God, I'm grateful that they're here today. I'm grateful for what you're doing in our church family, that there are others, Father, friends and neighbors that don't know you. Give us a burden for them. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Come on, church. Heaven is rejoicing. Can we celebrate for those who are surrendering their life to Jesus?